on the day that you were changed You were scared and prepared for the heartbreak Everything you knew faded out of you Stole a piece of you If I could, oh I would be a hero Be the one who would take all the arrows Save you from the pain Carry all the weight But I know that you pray Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome to Trinity Bible Church. Um, you know, it is a privilege to be able to gather together in a community of faith like we have here to worship God. Because all throughout the week, we're living our lives and we're going about our business. And, and uh, you know, our goal is to honor God and to serve him and to, to love others. But we need that time of reconnection, of refreshing, of rejuvenation that we get from each other. When we gather together like this, especially as we do along the lines of the ancient church on the first day of the week, celebrating new life in Christ, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we can experience that as we worship together. We're going to worship God through music in just a minute as we honor him by opening his word and allowing him to speak to us as he does through the Holy Scriptures, and then by serving and learning to continue to love one another. And so that's what we're going to do today, and we're going to be able to worship God in all of those ways and more so. But just take a moment as I read from the Bible, as I read our call to worship, just take a moment to just relax. No matter what kind of week you had or what your morning was like, just relax and know that you are in a place, a place where you can worship God with other like-minded people. Being able to just surrender yourself to him, just between you and God, but amongst others that are desiring to do the same thing. And we trust that today won't be just another day or even just another Sunday, but it will be unique and special and truly amazing because we serve and honor an amazing God, don't we? We do. Here's what it says. I have two readings from the scriptures for you this morning as our call to worship him. The first is from Jeremiah, and it says this in Jeremiah chapter 31. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities. When I restore their fortunes, the Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together. And the farmers and those who wander 
with their flocks. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. And then he says, At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. What a wonderful dream he had. What a wonderful vision. He awoke and it was pleasant and it was good because he foresaw this time of satisfying a weary soul and every languishing soul being replenished by God himself. And the other reading which leads us into worship is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. It simply says this in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. The vision Jeremiah had of the future, of a time when every weary soul would be refreshed and replenished. And we see God's plan was all about Jesus, sending us that Savior, the living water, the bread of very life, who he calls a stone, a tested stone, but yet a precious cornerstone and a sure foundation. Church, where is your foundation today? Is it on the Lord Jesus, the one we are about to worship? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And then we'll honor God with our worship. Father, we thank you. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for every blessing, for we know that all good gifts come from heaven above, come from you. The creator of heaven and earth and our maker, yes, also the one who scripture says is the lover of our soul, even and especially our weary soul. God, would you bless us now with the peace that only you can give, that we may enter into a time of worship where we can give, where we can honor, where we can surrender. For Lord, this time is about you, and it is for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, church.
Set free. 
Praise the Lord. Take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you. We can make our way back to our seats. As you can see, um, our children have made their way down the hall to join their teachers. We continue to pray for them and for the, the children, of course, as they um, have their, their own special time of worship and, uh, and the Word. And uh, before we get into our time in God's Word this morning, just a, a few quick updates is what we call church life to kind of get caught up in what's going on in the life of the church, as you'll see. Um, next Saturday, this is coming up in a little less than a week, is our annual women's ministry, Sunrise, Bike Ride, Slash Walk, right, and Breakfast. So make sure you make a note of that, and Breakfast, really important. Uh, but it's next Saturday, and um, of course, because it's Sunrise, it starts nice and early, 5.30 a.m., and uh, if you've never been, uh, it's, it's the same place that the ladies like to go every uh, every year, and uh, it's a wonderful time from what I hear, but uh, you just take a bike ride or walk, if you'd like, up the boardwalk in beautiful Spring Lake. And so uh, you meet where you start at that parking lot at the south uh, end of the boardwalk and uh, start there, and then um, you take your time and have some great fellowship as you see the, the beautiful uh, beach and sunrise. Uh, and uh, then it ends with a breakfast at 8.30 at the Breakers, which is right there as well in Spring Lake, and uh, the church has is, is covered this, so it, it is a free event to all the ladies. It's a great opportunity to invite your, your friends or some family, maybe some people that you've been sharing your faith in the Lord Jesus with, uh, and just say, you know, hey, the, the crazy ladies at Trinity get up early to go see the beautiful sunrise. Um, uh, once a year, right, that's okay, yeah, very good. And so uh, please make a note of that, ladies, you'll get an email and text reminder this week, but that is this coming Saturday, July 30th, 5.30 a.m., and then, of course, 8.30 for the breakfast. And I understand that if for some reason you can't make the bike ride, are you still invited to the breakfast? Is yeah, that true? Ladies, ladies, ladies only, right. Did we ever have men trying to crash the breakfast? Maybe, okay. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprised, but... Um, 
anyway, so thank you for, for all the ladies that, um, that have done that in the past and putting it together this year. So make sure you sign up. There's a, a sign-up registration on our website. Again, it's free. Uh, and uh, you just go to the website, trinityallenwood.com, and put your name in just so they know who to expect um, for that morning, okay? So you can go in and register for the event there. Uh, just wanted to say a quick shout-out to the team that went to the, the Hoving home yesterday. If you remember, it's been maybe been a couple of years now that we had the, the women of the, the Hoving home, which is up in North Jersey, come and bring their choir and share some testimonies. If you remember, it was a wonderful uh, Sunday service, some powerful testimonies, but this is a ministry we've become connected with uh, over the years, and uh, they, um, it, it's basically, it's a home, it's a, a transition home, a home where women who are dealing with addiction or recovery or um, uh, relationship abuse, uh, they can come and enter into this program, and it's Bible-based, and they have intensive study, uh, but also counseling and uh, it's a program that's from six months to a year, depending on uh, why you're there and, and what they recommend. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful ministry we're learning more about. But uh, since that time, a couple of years ago, when they came here, uh, the missions team had thought, you know, we'd love to go and to serve them, to help them. So you'll actually be hearing a little bit more about that in a minute and then throughout this morning's message. But we had a group of nine of us that volunteered to go, and we spent the whole day just serving them, and they were getting ready for a big event next week, so we helped do a lot of landscaping and making some crafts and going through some things and organizing and cleaning, and um, they said that we were a blessing, but we were truly blessed as well by going and, and just hearing some great stories. And so just wanted to thank everybody that, uh, that went out to do that. And be, uh, be mindful that the missions team tries to put, put out there uh, something to do to get beyond these four walls at least once a month uh, to outreach, to share the gospel, to serve, uh, whatever it may look like. And so this was ours for, for this month. So be looking for more opportunities in the fall. But I asked Claudia, my wife Claudia, if she would come and share briefly, because she was with us yesterday, just about her experience and kind of what we, what we did yesterday at the, the Hoving Home. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Good morning. Okay. Um, there is a phrase that I'd like to introduce, and then I'm going to share a little bit, and then we'll come back to it at the end. The phrase is, the struggle is real but so is God. This is the phrase that the ladies at the Hoving Home taught those of us that were out there last yesterday. Um, and it is just so true, right? The struggle is real, but so is God. And that changes everything, right? So I just want to share, as Keith mentioned, nine of us, um, you know, met up this uh, yesterday morning and uh, took the nice trek up, uh, hour and a half, I guess it was, to the Hoving Home. It's in this beautiful area, uh, kind of secluded. It was an old camp and um, just uh, a, a really beautiful drive up there. And we got to work with these these ladies, all different ages. The youngest one that I got to talk to was 24 years old. Um, and she was sharing her story, you know, and on our, on our way up, you know, in our, in our car, we were just talking about different things. We're talking about scripture and, and, you know, just life. And, um, and one of, one of the, uh, the women in, in the, in the car with us was sharing about a particular scripture that, you know, she was just kind of, you know, thinking through talking to the Lord about trying to understand more. And it was just so cool because obviously when you go to serve, 
you're not going for yourself. You don't do that to feel better about yourself. You're going because you have a hope that is within you about the faith that you have in Jesus. And you know that Jesus changes lives. You know that he breaks chains of addiction. He breaks chains of family hardship and, and issues that, you know, we on our own cannot. And so we go there to be obedient and to serve and to tell people of the promises that we know. And so we, we get there and we're able to just meet and just to see our, our people, you know, just going and engaging and, and, and talking to people, hearing their stories, not only does it, you know, bless them because at the end of the day, you know, Zoe, who was the, uh, heading up the, the group there that, um, that day said to us, you know, this is a hard week with the heat for these ladies. They work real hard and it's hard to motivate them to do stuff because it's, it's 90 plus to those of you guys that work out there in the heat, you know, it's hard to do that. But our team went in with joy, with hope, with encouragement, with Andrew laughing and, and encouraging everyone. And and she said to us, she said, it was so different today. She said, they had so much fun serving with you guys today. And it was just a, a real joy, a real blessing to see God, you know, just encourage our sisters who are struggling and trying to grasp on to the truth that God can change their lives and that he does change lives, you know? And so we were, we were just all blessed, but back to the story at the beginning, you know, with the, 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 the verse that we were talking about at the very end of our time there, uh, we had a, a chapel service. Keith, Keith led us, um, Angela shared her testimony, which was amazing. Um, I got to share my testimony as well. And we just, you know, we're closing up our time. And this woman from the camp says, can I pray over you guys? And what a gorgeous, amazing, powerful prayer. And the prayer spoke specifically to the verse that we had been talking about in the car on our ride up. And she didn't know anything about that. It was just the Lord working and giving us nuggets of, you know, hey, I see you. I see what you're doing. I know that you're here to be obedient and he continues to teach us and to stretch us and to grow us. And so on, at the end of it, we were just all like, wow, especially those of us who were in the car, were just like, that was so cool that God would do that. And he does that because when we're faithful, we're obedient, we don't do it for him to bless us, but because he's generous, he's a generous God. We cannot outgive him. We cannot outserve him. Whenever we go out in his name, he will show up and he changes us. And so I think all of us, you ask, ask people for stories because they all got to engage. And, uh, and back to where I started, the struggle is real. Help me out. But so is God. Can I say that again? Because you guys, all right, come on. The struggle is real, but so is God. Thank you. Thank you, Claudio. Whoa. No, it's all good. Um, there are 12 women, I think, 12 or 13 in, in the program currently. They can house up to 30. And these women are, are in community, um, learning to draw closer to God by surrendering themselves. Whatever it is that brought them there, they need to empty themselves of their self-focus, their self-centeredness, 
and learn to trust. And that's the same story for all of us. You know, whether we deal with uh, an addiction to alcohol or drugs or come from an abusive relationship, whatever it might be, we can relate to that. And um, they're learning to not only rely on God, but on each other and how to work together in community and to love one another, which can often be messy and difficult, and to serve one another, which uh, eats at our pride and calls for greater humility. And so it was a great testimony to be able to see them doing this, and not all perfectly and not all enjoying it, uh, but understanding at the very least their need um, to do that. And uh, one of the other things that really struck me was that they were all playing their part, or at least learning to play their part. They all had different responsibilities throughout the week, and one of the ladies that was in charge of, of uh, all of the landscaping yesterday, handing out the power tools and telling us what to do, she mentioned to me that um, uh, it's not her normal thing, because she loves it, and she used to do it. And it's a work, she was a workaholic. She'd always be out there doing, 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 but the camp directors noticed, like, this is how you're escaping from dealing with God, by just going, doing this thing. And so what they did is they took that responsibility away and put her in charge of the kitchen, <laughs> which she does not like to do, but she realized it was humbling her. I was like, wow, that's good. It's good, good insight, but she was willing to at least begin to accept that. But one of the ladies that was there, her name is Janice, and she was an older woman uh, from uh, Louisiana, and uh, she reminded us of that all day, that she was from New Orleans, New Orleans, right? And uh, she loved to tell jokes. And the problem was she had such a thick accent, it was hard to understand what she was saying. But you could tell from her heart how much she loved Jesus and um, just loved the fact that he had allowed her to be there. And uh, she loved to tell corny jokes. And I love to hear corny jokes. And so she told me, I could just barely make it out, but she told me this story of this man who had a good friend who was really concerned about his spiritual well-being and whether or not he would go to heaven. So this man's name is William. And so his friend one day said to him, William, do you know God? Do you really know him? William said, yes, 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 my friend. I know God. God and I are like this. I know him. And the friend just wasn't so sure. And, and the friend said, yeah, but do you really know him? Do you know his name? Do you know him as your friend? And he said, yes, I do. William said, yes, I do. And so one day, it comes later that William dies and does get into heaven. And so as William is entering into heaven, God meets him, greets him, and says, William, welcome. And William is all excited, and very loudly, he says, hey, Howard, how are you? And God is puzzled, and he looks at William, and he says, my son, William, did you just call me Howard? He says, yeah, God, I've known you for a long time. I, was, I couldn't wait to see you face to face. How are you doing, Howard? And God is still puzzled. And he looks at William and he says, well, William, I know that you know me, but I have many names. But my name is not Howard. And William says, sure it is, sure it is. I, I know it because Jesus told me your name is Howard. And he says, how so? And William says, you know, it's right there in the Bible. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. So that was her funny joke. 
We hear all kinds of things. But here's the question. Do we know God? Do we truly know him? Do we know the many names that the scriptures show us belong to him? that point to his character and his nature, and even the purposes he has for his creation and and for us? Do we know our God more intimately every day as we search the scriptures and as we pray? And see, this is a big concern of the apostle Peter. And Peter is writing these letters that we are studying, and He's writing these letters, First and Second Peter, to a group of believers, fairly new in their faith, who are living in hostile territory. They're living amongst a, a group, a society, that not only doesn't understand them, but is hostile to their way of life and their faith. And so Peter hears about this and knows that they need encouragement. So Peter writes these small, short letters to not only encourage them, but to remind them of who they are and, more importantly, who God is. To remind them who their God is, who the God is that they serve. But see, then Peter gets very practical and explains to them how they are to live their everyday life as believers in Jesus, as Christians, especially in a hostile world. So our series is called Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And if you remember the context of these letters, these Christians were not yet facing the the hostility that we might think, not the persecution of torture and even death. That would come soon enough. But the kind of persecution they were facing was a little bit more like what we might find and what we might be used to here in the West, in in our country, and even this part of of our nation. See, they were facing things like being ridiculed, by being mocked, by being spit upon or snared at, by being ostracized by family and friends. These are things that perhaps you've experienced and unfortunately, as Scripture says, will continue to happen all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. But see, that's where we pick up today in 1 Peter chapter 4. It's verses 7 through 11, and we're going to read it in just a minute. You can turn in your Bibles there. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, and Peter kind of gives this wonderful summary in these few verses of all that he's been talking about and what he's going to continue to talk about. And he gives us this great summary about who God is, and, and in particular, how we are to follow him every day. It's the day-to-day living as Christians that we all want to know about. How do we live this out every day? Especially when the world might not be so inclined to hear us. You know, and I've said before many times that we have enjoyed as Christians a very privileged position in this country for many years, but it kind of moved throughout the course of our our nation's history to more indifference, especially in the last 50 to 75 years, and to the point from indifference to a little bit more of antagonism and hostility. We hear about it a little bit more. We might experience a little bit more. 
And so Peter is reminding them of who God is, but this is how you do it. This is how you live the Christian life. What things are we to focus on? And see, Peter gives us some words here that show us that what Peter is trying to say is that it will take work. And we don't like to hear that. But he's saying this has to be intentional on our part. Just like an athlete, like he uses some words in the original Greek that kind of bring to mind an athlete working hard to build their muscles, just like you need to push to your, your, your level, right? You keep pushing through those barriers to, to run faster, to, to, to gain more strength. He says that's kind of what it's like as a Christian. You have to be intentional. You have to work at it. And just like our friends, the women at the Hoving Home, you have to set aside time, whatever that looks like, but on a regular basis to grow in your understanding of God and to grow in your trust and reliance on him. You have to grow in that. It doesn't just come automatically the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus. It's what we call sanctification. It's that journey from being a believer until the Lord calls us home or returns for us, the church, that we are being sanctified as we obey God's word and as we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit that we are surrendering ourselves in that obedience and to the Spirit for the rest of our days. But see, it's a process. It's a journey. But it won't just happen. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. And you know what I hate to say, too? It won't just happen by being here once a week on a Sunday morning. This is designed to be, this thing we call church, a whole life, a whole life thing. It's not just on Sunday mornings or Wednesday night or a couple of times during the week. This is sort of the way we, we refresh from the week before and we kick off a brand new week by the corporate larger gathering, but then throughout the week, through our texts and emails, our phone calls, through our community groups, through our, our prayer and Bible studies, whatever it might look like, we continue to live the Christian life together in community, smaller groups, larger groups, learning and growing and serving, those three words, our core values here at Trinity, learning the truth and growing in faith and then serving one another. It's what Peter talks about. It's what we're gonna end with today. He ends with saying it's so important to serve one another, but to do so in love. It's the outpouring of what we're learning and growing. But it takes intentionality, church. It takes being intentional and working at it. And so let me read to you what he says, and then we'll just briefly in our time remaining unpack a few things, just three things that I want us to see from what he says. And so we are to serve one another is really the, the, the key and the crux of what he's saying. First Peter 4, 7 through 11, here's what it says. He starts by saying, the end of all things is at hand. I could just pray and we can go home because there it is. The end is coming and that's it. No. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, so now we have to pay attention to what he says, because in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he kind of gives that little doxology there and sums it up. So three things that we want to point out here, because he's saying with every passing day, our salvation is nearer, right, than when we first believed in Jesus. And he says the end of all things is at hand. So he's saying, so then, how should we live out the rest of our time here until the Lord returns? Now let's, let's uh, make sure we understand the context here before we look at the three things. When he says the end of all things is at hand, we can look back and say, well, it's been like over 2,000 years, so I guess he was wrong. But let's just remember this, church. God does not see time the way we do, right? Like he's outside of time. We use time in a linear fashion. We measure things chronologically from beginning to end. There's a past, a present, and a future, right? But with God, past, present, and future all exist at once. Now, we can't wrap our minds around that, but he is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right? We sang it earlier, right? He was at the beginning, and he is now, and he will be forever. So God has always been. There's never a time where God does not know something, you see? We understand learning something in sequence of time, but God always knows. You see, so we understand that Peter is saying from his perspective and what he has been taught by the Lord Jesus himself, the end of all things is at hand. So the end means this, and I think this is the important word here, the important point. The end doesn't mean a finish necessarily. It doesn't mean that it's all over. That word end here really has the connotation of the consummation of all things, the summary, the conclusion, the wrapping things up, the fruition of everything that came before. I truly believe he's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus. He's saying when Jesus comes back to make all things new, to finish his judgment, to, to first redeem the church and rapture the church and then finish his judgment of the world and the Jewish people, and then bring in his kingdom before the end of the thousand years where he hands it back to the Father. See, Peter's saying that time is upon us. Now, yes, in our frame of reference, it's been 2,000 years, but they understood it to be near. We don't know when the Lord will return for us. I believe it's imminent, which means it could happen at any moment. It's called our glorious hope. It's what we look forward to, to his return. But then his actual, when we're already with him, his second coming to the earth to finish judging the world and to set up his kingdom, his second coming. Peter is saying, you know what? In light of the fact that Jesus is coming back someday, here's how you should live. Do these things. We like practicality, don't we? Okay, God, I know you have a plan for my life. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life, God? How about we open the pages of Scripture and see what he's already told us? 
right? So that's what Peter does. He's saying, in light of this, because the end of all things is at hand, it's near. It's like when Jesus came upon the scene, started his ministry, and he and, the, and John the Baptist, do you remember what it said they were preaching? He said they went all around and preached, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is what? At hand, right? What Jesus was saying was that he was the king, the promised Messiah. He has come to offer the kingdom to the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And so the kingdom is upon you if you receive your king. That's what Jesus was saying. It's at hand. So Peter is saying the end of all things is at hand. Jesus very soon, he's saying, we don't know how soon, very soon is going to come and wrap it all up. As he foretold, as was prophesied in the scriptures, he will return to do all that he had done, to bring to fruition all of God's plans. So he says, in light of that, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. Three things. That we are to be serious in our prayer, we are to be surrendered in our love, and we are then to have servants' hearts. So first we'll look at serious prayer. You know, we can have a vision of what we want our life to be. We can imagine, right? We can imagine what we would like to see. You know, we, we might imagine what we would like our career path to look like. You might imagine what it would look like to have grandkids. You might be able to imagine what it'll look like when you go on your dream once in a lifetime vacation. You have a vision. I read earlier from Jeremiah, he woke up to this very pleasant vision of the one day God refreshing every weary soul, right? And so we can have a vision, but then we have to ask ourselves, how do we get there? It doesn't see just happen. There's planning, there's working involved, there's setting the steps. There's walking towards it. You see the thing you want to get to, and you have to make your way there. So Peter is saying, we have the end goal in mind. It's the return of Jesus, our glorious hope. It is eternity with God. We call it heaven. We can see it. We can envision it. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's going to be bigger and greater than even all that we can imagine but yet we can picture it, right? What we'd like it to be, what the scripture says it's gonna be. But what do we do in the meantime? We can picture and envision what it looks like for us to overcome that sin that continues to dog us every day. We can picture what it looks like to overcome the, those anxieties and, the, and that severe depression. We can envision what it looks like and imagine what it looks like to be in a better relationship with a friend or a loved one. See, we can see it, but now Peter is getting to the, the practicality of it. How do we get there? What kind of discipline does it take? What kind of healthy habits do I need to build in order to be intentional about growing in Christ? But yet we realize we can't do it in our own strength. I'm not talking about just working harder. It's more about surrendering more. As we surrender ourselves, our own strong will to God through obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading. 
When we are doing that, we realize it's not of our own strength. God, help me to do this. Christ offered us salvation in Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus says, it is finished. He did all that needed to be done. And all we do is reach out through belief, through faith and trust, receive that gift, right? That's salvation. But what about our sanctification? What about moving from being a believer in Jesus to then deciding to be a disciple and then actually working at it? See, there's a big difference there. When Jesus calls us to faith, it always says, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's receiving the gift of salvation. But then he says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself, you take up your cross and follow me. That's work. That sounds difficult, doesn't it? That's laying aside our pride and taking on the robe of humility. That's what Peter's saying. Here's the things that we need to do. First, he talks about prayer. But he doesn't just say, hey, pray when you can. Pray when you think of it. He says, the end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He's like, you want to have an effective prayer life? Don't be so casual about it. Are your prayers usually something like, hey, God, I'm in a bit of a bind right here. Can you help me out? Signed, Fred. Signed, Howard. <laughs> Peter's saying, let's get serious. He's like saying, you know what? Yes, you're, you're, you're dealing with serious issues. You're, you're living in a hostile environment as Christians, and, and it's only going to get worse, Jesus said, because they said the world, he said the world hates him, so they're going to hate us because we're his followers. He says, you want to be a disciple and deny yourself and do this? It can be difficult. But our true joy is not based upon those circumstances. Our joy is in Christ. But he says that very practically. You should pray, but let's get serious about our prayers. Let's get serious about how often we pray and what our prayers look like. Are we reading the scriptures? You know, if you ever feel stale in your prayers, your prayer life, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. You'll see beautiful phrases, ones that David used of how to connect with God on a deeper level, a true heartfelt level. But Peter is saying, let's get serious about our prayers. It's almost as if he's saying, like as a coach of a team, right? He's like, you know what? We're in the red zone now. and We're going for the end zone and the end of the game is near. Let's take this seriously. Let's be fully focused because we can see the goal. We can see that, that the end of all things is near. Christ is coming soon. We don't know when, but he said, be ready. This is how you be ready. Pray. But not only that, here's how you should pray. Be self-controlled and sober-minded, which means to me simply build some healthy habits in your prayer life. Not only when you pray, but how you pray. Jesus said, I joked about it earlier, but did he not model a prayer for us, the disciples' prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can even add, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever, amen. So what was Jesus saying? Do we pray those exact words? Well, you can, but it's not what he was saying. He was saying, first, when you pray, start with recognizing God. Our Father who's in heaven, your name is holy. Right? That's how we start. We don't just come to God and say, God, I need this. Give it to me. 
We start with recognizing who God is. Our fathers in heaven, hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, God, your will be done. In my life and on this earth as it is already in heaven, bring heaven to earth. Jesus will one day. Then he says, give us today those things we need, our daily bread. Help us to resist temptation. You see, see the order of things. So that will come by being self-controlled and not giving to, to, to being um, falling asleep in prayer. We've all done it. To, to, to praying for things that, that maybe are already lined in Scripture that we don't actually need to pray for. God already tells us what we need to be doing. Being self-controlled in our prayers and sober-minded. It means being ready. It means being focused. It means being intentional, realizing that the time is at hand. It's as if he's saying, this is just me putting words in his mouth, but it's as if Peter is saying, we have no time to play games any longer. There's no time for that. Let's get serious about our faith. Let's be intentional about it. And so, because Christ is returning at any time, let's be found with self-control and a sober mind for the sake of our prayers so that our prayers are more effective and that our prayers draw us closer to God. In Ephesians 6.18, he says, uh, praying at all times, this is Paul saying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. See, Paul's saying the same thing. With perseverance and supplication, praying at all times, of praying in the Spirit, the will of God. And he says, keep alert. Keep alert. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he asked his disciples, he said, can you just pray? I'm going to go over here. Can you just stay here and pray with me? And he went and he prayed these fervent prayers and he was sweating blood and he comes back and they're asleep. Right? Paul is saying, just be fervent in your prayer. That's what Peter is saying as well. Be fervent, be serious in your prayers. But then Paul adds something that Peter is actually talking about here as well. Making prayers for all the saints. See, in context, of course, we pray for everybody, but Peter is saying in particular, these three things we're looking at, it's really about each other. It's about the church. He's saying, let's be this for each other first and then for the unbelievers in the world, right? He's saying for each other first, for the saints. It matters, church, how we treat one another. In this local assembly, this local body, and the church universal, the global church, it matters how we treat each other. And he develops this as well. And then in Luke 21, what does Jesus say? Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is saying it as well. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Be ready. Be awake at all times. And don't be weighed down by the cares of this life. Jesus says drunkenness. Add whatever it is in there that you are given to. 
to escape the reality in which we live. To find any other way to deal with life other than Jesus, whether it's drink or drugs or relationships or work, whatever it may be, Jesus says, don't be weighed down by those things. There's no time for that. This is serious. That's what he's talking about. So Peter's getting serious with us, but then he says, we should also be surrendered in our love. But again, it starts with our love for each other. He's talking to believers. He's saying, stay together. You need each other in this community of faith. Don't abandon one another. Love each other. But then he kind of gives us this explanation. It's a, it's a fervent kind of love. So not only a fervent prayer. But see, Peter is really getting to the heart of it. He says, but a fervent love for one another. He says, above all. Okay, right there he's setting the stage. Above all, everything else, keep loving one another earnestly. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage by the Apostle Paul. On love, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, right? Love above all things is what we are to look at. And he says, above all, keeping, keep loving one another. What does that mean, keep loving? It means you don't just do it once for all and say, hey, I love you, I care about you. No, it's a daily thing, right? Yes, it can be messy. We saw it yesterday with the ladies at the Hoving home. Like, they didn't know each other. Some of them been there three days, some a few weeks, and some a few months. So they're all kind of thrown into this together, learning how to love God and love each other. So he says, keep doing it. Why? Because it's going to take intentionality. You're going to have to keep. It's a discipline that we have to learn by doing. It's how you discipline yourself, right? When you work out, when you run, when you exercise, I know we all do that, right? Every day, twice a day, we're all doing that, right? And we're out there doing it and living it, right? What's happening is you're building up stamina and strength for the next test. It's what happens when we grow spiritually. We are to be intentional, right? And focused on working at a relationship with God and Jesus. Now, we know soteriologically, which means regarding salvation, that we are secure in our faith and our position in Christ. We are justified in Christ and our position is sure. Our relationship with God never changes. That relationship in that sense, but our fellowship changes as we obey or as we disobey. Just like with parents with children, right? As I've said before, your child disobeys you. They disappoint you. They're, they're still your child, but there's going to be discipline. There's got to be growth there, see? It's the same thing with God, our Heavenly Father, and with us. So he says, keep loving one another earnestly. He's saying fervently, sincerely. And I think, you know what, if we're honest, we can all see behind the superficial, I love you, man, I care about you. We can see past that, can't we? He says, do it earnestly from your heart because Jesus is coming back soon and because we know how Jesus loves us and forgave us. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. How about that? Dealing with sin in the church. Now, what it does not mean is that we hide the sin and sweep it under the rug. 
We might be tempted to do that. Why? It's easier. It's easier not to deal with sin, isn't it? It's much easier. You sweep it under the rug so you don't have to see it. You don't have to deal with it. You know it's still there. You sweep that dirt under the rug, it's not going anywhere. Someday you'll have to clean it. It's out of sight, out of mind, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying we don't just hide it. He's saying love covers the sins, meaning those things that people are doing in the church, we know it's sinful. We can forgive them. We can forgive. I think it was also Peter, if I'm not mistaken, who had said to Jesus, hey, so we should forgive, right? Like seven times. And I think he was really boasting because the Pharisees, I think they taught like you forgive three times. So he's like more than doubling it. Jesus, I'll forgive people seven times. And what's he taught? How about 70 times seven? 490 times. And then you're done? No. He's saying you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. As you love and you love and you love earnestly, keep doing it. Because when you're loving, you're not just seeing the sin in others. You're seeing the way God loves them. But don't you want people to see you with loving eyes as well? To not be calling out your sins? Now, of course, there is time for discipline in the church. And there's time for calling out those sins. And, and God, um, you know, he, he, in Matthew 18 and other places, he, he lays out a prescription of how to do that within the church body. But what Peter is saying is saying, hey, love, above everything else, love, keep loving. Pray fervently, love fervently. He said earlier in, in chapter one, first Peter, uh, Peter did, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See, Peter said it earlier, chapter one, he's saying it again. A fervent, a constant, and earnest prayer, and earnest love. Paul says in Colossians 3.14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That was a prayer for the church. He wants the church to be unified and in harmony. Does it mean we always agree? No. Does it mean we all always think the same thing? No. But he said, in, it's like in our diversity, we can be unified if we're loving each other earnestly and if we're praying for each other earnestly. James 5 says it this way, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and then someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He's not talking about salvation of the soul there. It's not that kind of salvation. He's talking about saving us from the consequences of sin. That's the way that word saved is used there. Meaning if you see a brother or sister wandering, the best thing to do is pray for them fervently, Love them fervently because, as James says also, it covers a multitude of sins, those who are wandering. God's heart, church, is always restoration. It's always about restoring what is broken. He's saying if you see somebody wandering, wandering from the faith, wandering from the ways of Jesus, lovingly through prayer, call them back. And then finally, we are to have a servant's heart. Serious prayer, serious prayer, surrendered love, and a servant's heart. 
He says it in a few ways. Show hospitality. Some of you love to be hospitable. It's great. You open your home, you make meals, you welcome people in. It's beautiful. We are to do that for one another. Show hospitality to one another, but then he gives a caveat here without grumbling. It must have been an issue. (laughs) Yeah, you can come over. Right? Do it without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, now he's saying it. He's saying we all have gifts. He's talking, I think, about spiritual gifts, not just talents that we might be given or developed. Spiritual gifts, gifts that we have at the moment, that are given to us at the moment of salvation through the Holy Spirit, one gift or multiple gifts. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's hospitality, maybe it's encouragement, exhortation, whatever it might be, a combination of those. Different levels, he says, by varied grace as God gives it. Do you know why, this is so, do you know why God through the Holy Spirit gives us as believers in Christ spiritual gifts? It's not for our own benefit, it's for each other. It's for the, the betterment of the church, for the uplifting and edification of the church. That's where we are to use our spiritual gifts. So he says, as each has received a gift, use them to serve one another. He's Take the focus off yourself and serve others. Pray for them fervently. Love them fervently. Serve them fervently. Serve them as good stewards. I love that. You know what a steward is? We don't really use the word a lot anymore, but back then especially, a steward was like a manager, like a house manager. The steward would be a manager. Like like celebrities today might have a personal assistant. They manage their schedule and, and make sure their kids get to school, help them out because, you know, they're so busy and all that, right? And, you, and, and, and you, they had a manager. So he's talking about be like a good steward, a good manager of all the things that, that your boss, the, people, the person you work for, ha- has given you a purview over, your responsibilities, right? And so the steward of the house would take care of everything, pay the bills, right? Make sure everything is taken care of in the house. All that, arrange the schedule. He's saying, be a good steward of what God has given you, the grace he's given you. Manage it well, remembering it's not yours. You don't own it. God gives it to you in a unique and special and varied way. We all play a part in this thing called the church. Paul likens it to the body. We're all a different part of the body, right? Not one is more important than the other. One might be more visible. One might be one you recognize more. One might be that works more often. Doesn't make it better. Because we all need each other. The body needs all the parts to be healthy, working together. Peter's saying the same thing. But then he says, whoever speaks, he kind of gives examples. So if you speak, if you're a teacher, right? You're an exhorter. So speak as the oracles of God, meaning it's from God. It's not you. You're not puffing yourself up. You're doing it from God. Whoever serves, if you're like a minister, you love to just get down and dirty and serve and do the work, right? And whatever it looks like. So do it as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. See, now he's, he's saying it here. We can't do it of our own accord. Rely on God and his strength. Just like we rely, we rely on God for our salvation. He did it all. We rely on God's strength through the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to actually live out this Christian life. He says, in order that in everything. Now he's talking about the ultimate goal, that ultimate vision. 
In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, so him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not, out, it's not about us, it's about God. But we get to be a part of it. We get to be here. We get to serve one another. We have the great privilege of praying for one another. We have the great privilege of loving one another, even though it can be hard and messy and difficult. We have the great privilege of serving, of serving one another, serving one another in love. I'll leave you with this, um, this passage. No, there's two, two more passages. John 13. Jesus says, this will be familiar to you, in the Last Supper, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus taught it. That's where Peter got it from. That's where Paul got it from, from Jesus. See? Love, 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 love one another. It covers a multitude of sins. Helps us to see people the way God sees them. It's a new commandment. Why? course they're always supposed to love one another because he's instituting this thing called the church in just a few short days a little more than a month will come the holy spirit the pentecost and the beginning of the church the body of christ love one another peter is then adding to it especially as the end of all things draws near and then finally romans 12 paul says for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you Don't think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sounds like Peter is saying the same thing that Paul did, right? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, though many, we are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us is exactly what Peter says. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, do it in proportion to your faith. If service, then in your serving. If it's teaching, in your teaching. If it's exhortation, exhortation. The one who contributes, do it with generosity. The one who leads, do it with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you see what they're both saying to us today? If we're going to live as Christians disciples of Jesus in a hostile environment that's hostile to our faith. We have to do what Peter says. And Peter's saying, look, pray for each other, but do it sober-mindedly, self-controlled, and do it with fervent, fervency, fervent prayer. But he says also, surrender yourself in love. Love one another unconditionally. That love will cover a multitude of sin in the body of Christ. But then he says, pray and love and serve. Serve each other. Because you've all been given gifts to serve. As he's given you that grace and the gifts that vary among us, do it for each other because we need each other, especially as we see that day approaching. You remember what the writer of Hebrews says? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? He says, do not forsake the gathering of the elect of the church of each other, but spur one another on. All the more as you see the day approaching. Church, we need each other. We're not called to live this life alone, this life as believers, as Christians. We need our faith community. 
because of what each of you brings in a very unique and special way, the, the way God has blessed you. Bless each other. Use those gifts because they were given to you to be the blessing to the rest of the body of Christ. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for a special time in your word. Now, as we leave this place, may we continue to be motivated by your soon return, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that. But God, we want to be found praying, we want to be found loving, and we want to be found serving each other, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Father, we look forward to that day you call your church home, but until then, Lord God, you have work for us to do. Help us to stay on mission and to stay on message, all the while encouraging each other, building each other up, and relying on one another as we all together follow you the way of our master. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's go and serve him in love together. Shines like
Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. The one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our He's a-